Praise Yahweh. I've been teaching for the last, oh, I don't know, eight or nine sermons on righteous, strong women in the Bible. And so this will be a continuation of that lesson. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank You so much for everything that You've done for me. Thank You for loving me. Thank You for sending Your Son for me, for us. Thank You for my wife and my children, my grandchildren, my friends and my family. Thank You for those that do the will of the Father. Yahweh, I ask right now that You would bless the lesson today. I pray that it would get into our mind and into our heart. And that we would be obedient. Faith without works is dead. Being alone is like a lifeless body. So help us, Yahweh, to not just be hearers of Your Word. Help me, Yahweh, to be both hearers and doers. Thank You for all of the holy women in the Scriptures, and thank You for the holy women today. We bless You, Father Yahweh, through our Messiah, I pray. Amen. In this lesson, I would like to look in particular at women during the ministry of Yeshua, and specifically how He treated women in His ministry. When we look at the life of Yeshua, we see that He valued women. He interacted with them when other people would not. He never viewed them as snares or sexual objects. He never acted inappropriately towards them. He never marginalized them as though they had nothing to offer to the Creator or to the congregation. He noticed them. He praised them. He helped them. He received their help. He listened to them and He included them in His ministry. Now what makes this fascinating is the cultural backdrop behind this. When we read the Bible, we need to make sure that we not only look at the context in language, but the context in culture. Because in the first century, Jewish tradition had developed a low status of women. The great women like Miriam, Deborah, Ruth, Esther, Huldah, many others, those kind of faded away from the memory of Judaism. Some of the rabbinical sayings or precepts that existed in Judaism in the first century were this, quote, let no one talk with a woman in the street, no, not with his own wife, end of quote. Or, quote, let the words of the law be burned rather than committed to a woman, end of quote. There was even a prayer that Jewish men prayed in which they thanked Adonai, the Lord, that he did not make them a woman. And all of these sayings can be found in commentaries on the New Testament text that I'm going to talk about today. A lot of them cite rabbinical sources, especially ones like John Gill, Adam Clark, and uh, Bishop Lightfoot's commentaries. Such a distortion of what we've learned so far in the first several lessons about women in the Older Testament, we would wonder how could it get distorted that bad but such a distortion shouldn't surprise us if we're good Bible students because we know that rabbinical Judaism had also distorted major commandments like the Sabbath day 
where they didn't want Yeshua doing things on the Sabbath day that weren't against the law of Yahweh, but were against the laws of Judaism. Likewise, they had distorted the fifth command of honoring one's parents. They had made that commandment void for the sake of their tradition, Matthew 15 and Mark 7. So, not only did Yeshua combat the traditions of men that violated the commandments in those areas, I believe that the entire life of Yeshua and his ministry was a rebuke of the general view of women in the first century Judaism. So we're going to cover several texts today, but we'll begin by looking at Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. It says, Soon afterwards he was traveling from one town and village to another, preaching and telling the good news of the kingdom of Yahweh. The twelve were with him. That's his twelve male students or disciples that are mentioned earlier in the Gospel of Luke and Luke 6 where he chose twelve. But then it says, And also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses. Mary called Magdalene. Seven demons had come out of her. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, Susanna, and many others who were supporting them from their possessions. So as Yeshua traveled along preaching and teaching the message of the kingdom, he did not just have with him twelve male disciples. <clears throat> there were women that traveled around with him as well, and these women were also his disciples. These women are praised here as supporting his ministry from their possessions, and that means from their material things. Yeshua had ministered to or served these women in spiritual matters. The text tells us they had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses. So they in turn turned around and they ministered or served the Messiah and his disciples in natural matters. This means they made sure that they had clothing, shoes, food, things of that nature. The point is, is that these women traveled along with Yeshua and he valued their company and their support. He never told them that they should not be learning or that it wasn't their place to be with him. And he never turned down the support as though a woman helping him, supplying him materially, was belittling him. These women either supported him because they worked, and common jobs for women in the first century, these are some you can find in history, hairdresser, midwife, innkeeper, cloth merchant, and even a professional mourner or a lamenter. So they either supported him from the money that they gained through working, or because they had inherited dowry money due to a deceased husband. Either way, Yeshua accepted the financial support of these women. It also needs to be pointed out that the women who were traveling with the Master would have been considered the lower class in that culture. And it's not just because they were females, that was part of it, but it was also because of their social status. They had to be healed of evil spirits, it says, which would make them be rendered unclean in the community. Can you believe he lets Mary Magdalene travel with him? I've never heard of such. I can hear the gossip now. But Yeshua did not let this stop him. He loved the unloved. He healed the worst of problems. And he welcomed those who were repentant. He was all about turning people's lives around and using the lower class to do the big things. 
Some of these women were there when Yeshua was crucified. Mark 15, 40-41 tells us, There were also women looking on from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the younger, and of Joseph and Salome. When he was in Galilee, they would follow him and help him. Many other women had come up with him to Jerusalem. Again, they would follow him. That is shorthand for they were his disciples. And they would help him, that is, support him in his ministry. In Matthew 12, verse 46, we read that Yeshua was speaking with the crowds. And then all of a sudden, his mother and brothers were standing outside wanting to talk to him. And the crowds told him about this, but he replied, Who is my mother and brothers? And stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven, that person is my brother and sister and mother. Notice how he points or stretches out his hand to his disciples and then calls his disciples brother and sister and mother. In a Middle Eastern context, you do not call a male disciple your sister or your mother. Now, I wouldn't even do that today. Some people would, but the cultural context shows that he had to have pointed or stretched out his hand to both male and female disciples. These would be the men and women who traveled with him and personally followed his teachings. Now, in Luke 10... 38 through 42, we read that there was a woman named Martha that welcomed Yeshua into her home. Now, the text does call it her home, so culturally that means she was either single or she was widowed. It says, while they were traveling, he, Yeshua, entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary. As a side note, this is probably not Mary Magdalene or Mary of Magdala, but this is another Mary, Mary of Bethany. Mary or Miriam was one of the most popular names in the first century for, for females. So Martha had a sister named Mary who also sat at the Lord's feet and was listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks and she came up and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? So tell her to give me a hand. The Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has made the right choice, and it will not be taken away from her. So Martha is busy serving. And number one, I want to point out that that's a righteous thing to do if the Messiah comes to your house for dinner, is to serve him, right? Take care of him, make sure he's got something to eat, something to drink, make sure his feet's washed so forth and so on. So that's a righteous thing what Martha is doing. But Mary sits at Yeshua's feet. And we don't, I don't want you to misunderstand this. I think sometimes we read things and we misunderstand them because we don't live back then. But sitting at his feet and listening to the Master doesn't mean that she was sitting there gazing into his eyes because he was so handsome. Sitting at his feet and listening to him speak means she was being a student to his rabbinical teaching. Because when students would learn from their rabbi, their master, or their teacher, they would sit at their feet out of a sign of respect to the higher authority that the rabbi had over them. Deuteronomy 33 verse 3 says, Yea, he loveth the peoples, all his holy ones, they are in thy hand, and they sit down at thy feet, 
receiving of thy words. So when rabbis would speak, their pupils would often sit out of respect for the rabbi. When I was a teenager, there was an older man named James Reddy that came to visit Brother Arnold and Sister Hazel. And I was there in the living room with him one day and we were sitting across each other on two different couches and I couldn't hear him real good. So I got up and I walked over to him and I sat down at his feet so I could hear him or hear better the things or the words that he was saying because he was talking or teaching. And he looked at me and he gave this big old grin from ear to ear and he said, what are you doing? And I said, I'm sitting here so I can listen to you better. And he put his hand on my shoulder. He said, all the great disciples learned at their teacher's feet. (laughs) An example of this elsewhere in the Bible would be that Paul the Apostle was reared as a Pharisee by sitting at the feet of Rabbi Gamaliel, or Gamaliel, who was a doctor of the law. Acts chapter 5, verse 34, and Acts 22, verse 3. So Mary of Bethany does this towards Yeshua, and he takes up for her. He gently tells Martha, the one that is serving the meal and taking care of the material things, he tells Martha gently, Martha, Martha, you're worried about many things, many tasks. There is one thing that is important. That's the contrast. You're worried about the many things, but there's one thing that is of greatest importance. And he tells Martha, Mary has chosen to be where she's at, at my feet, listening and learning as a pupil. And she has chosen correctly. And he says, and it will not be taken away from her. So the master here received Mary, a woman who desired to learn the ways of Yahweh. Yeshua welcomed women that no one else would welcome. In Luke chapter 7, there's an account where he goes to eat at a Pharisee's house because he's been invited. And there was a woman in the town who had the reputation of being a sinner. Now in those days... If a woman had a reputation of being a sinner, it usually meant she was loose and promiscuous. And this woman found out that Yeshua was at this house for dinner, and so she went there and she took with her some fragrant oil in an alabaster box. And she came inside to the dinner party, and she stood behind the master and she was weeping, not just crying, but weeping. Enough tears that she began to kneel down and Her weeping, her tears fell on his feet and she washed his feet and she kissed his feet and she dried them with her hair and then she anointed them with oil. Now imagine how that appeared to the Pharisee who was the owner of the house. Imagine how you would feel today if something like that happened in your house. It would probably make most of us feel awkward and uncomfortable if something like that happened. The Pharisee got upset And he said, this man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him. She's a sinner, Luke 7, 39. Well, Yeshua was a prophet, and he did know exactly who this woman was, and he still let her do what she did. If this happened today to a holy man, would we react like the Pharisee, or would we react like the Master? Well, Yeshua replied to him with a parable about the forgiveness of debts. He explained that the reason that this lady loves him so much is because she had been forgiven of so much. And the master met her where she was at. and She repented and her sins were forgiven. 
The Pharisees were not willing to meet people like this where they were at, much less women. But Yeshua did not care what it looked like to those who were there. His concern was on the woman's spiritual healing and her forgiveness. There was another time when Mary of Bethany, John 12, 1-7, this is the same woman who sat at Yeshua's feet as his pupil or student to learn his rabbinical teaching. She took a whole pound of fragrant oil, a pound. The Bible calls it pure and expensive spikenard or nard. And she poured some of it on his head, Mark 15, 3, and she used other of it to anoint his feet, John 12, 3, when you look at the parallel accounts in the Gospels. And then she wiped his feet, after she had anointed them with oil, she wiped his feet with her hair. And the Bible says that the whole house smelled like oil. Well, Judas got upset about it, and other people, it looks like, did too. And they began to scold Mary and tell her, if we could have sold this oil, we could have got 300 denarii, and we could have given the money to the poor. But the master told them, leave her alone, guys, leave her alone. He told them that what she was doing was a noble thing because he considered it an anointing of his body before his burial. And he told them they would always have the poor with him, but they would not always have him with them. And then he said in Mark 14, verse 9, I assure you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told in memory of her. And so we remember Mary of Bethany for what she did for the Master in this lesson. In Mark chapter 5, we read of a woman who had been suffering from bleeding for 12 years. This would have made her ritually unclean pretty much all of the time, unable to go to the temple. She had heard about Yeshua and the power that He had to heal sicknesses and diseases and even to cast out demonic entities, evil spirits. She made her way through a crowd of people and she reached out and she touched one of his tassels. A lot of Bibles say she touched the hem of his garment, but and that's fine. Hem is fine, but it's more correctly translated as one of his tassels, a zitzit, that she touched. The scripture tells us that she was instantly healed. After bleeding for 12 years, it stopped. And she felt inside of her body that she was cured. Mark 5 verse 29. And the woman fell down before Yeshua in fear and trembling and spoke to him the whole truth of her situation. He did not get upset. He didn't turn her away. He looked at her and said, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be freed from your affliction. It was the view in Judaism that a woman was always responsible for lust when a man lusted after her. Uh, you can read about this in rabbinical literature where they would discuss about lust and they would always blame the woman. No matter how she looked, no matter how she was dressed, it was always her fault. Some men still hold that concept today in order to take the blame off of them. Now, I'm not saying that there are not both men or women who dress provocatively in order to cause lust. The book of Proverbs talks about the unrighteous woman in contrast to the righteous. Um, those type of women are mentioned in Scripture. But there are also many times when women are dressed appropriately 
yet lustful men still gawk at these women, and then they blame the woman. It's you. You enticed me. You did this. You looked a certain way. You smiled, so forth and so on. Well, Yeshua challenged that view in his Sermon on the Mount. Remember, the Sermon on the Mount is Yeshua challenging the teachings of the scribes and Pharisees, their interpretation of the law, which is incorrect a lot of times, versus his proper interpretation of the law. Well, in Matthew 5, 28, he says, But I tell you, everyone who looks on a woman, and when he says everyone, he's talking about the men, who looks on a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. This would have been radical to most Pharisees as they would have always found a way to blame the woman rather than blame themselves. We never see Yeshua objectifying women or viewing them as lesser humans. He speaks to them. He interacts with them. He includes them just like He does the men. And that all contradicted the practices of His day when Yeshua spoke with the Samaritan woman at the well, the Bible tells us that when His disciples showed up, and this was early on in His ministry, this was kind of still when His ministry was private, after He had turned the water into wine and things, things like that. He speaks to this Samaritan woman, and His disciples were amazed that He was talking with a woman, not just a Samaritan. I'll get to that next week. Normally, Jewish people didn't talk to Samaritan people. And there's a reason for that. It's not a good reason, but it was traditional with them in that day. But they were amazed that he was talking with a woman. Why were they amazed? Because that was not the normal practice for a rabbi to speak with a woman in public. Matter of fact, it was against the laws of Judaism in the first century. So Yeshua went against the customs and the traditions when they violated the written commandments. And that is a large reason as to why he was always getting in trouble. It wasn't that he was violating Yahweh's law, but it was that he often violated the traditions of men. And I have found in my teaching, in my ministry, that people get upset when you teach the commandments. <laughs> I have found that people sometimes get even more upset when you teach that people can be forgiven of sin, when you teach grace and mercy. Sometimes that makes people even more upset. But I have found that you get into the most trouble when you challenge the customs and the traditions of church people. People do not like you messing with what they think is right, even if you show them Scripture after Scripture after Scripture. But Yeshua did not care. He only sought to please His Father in Heaven. And we need to be more worried about upsetting our Father than we are about upsetting people. So in my life in the church world, which I've been in church my whole life, since I was a baby, Yahweh has blessed me, I believe, with that. But in my life, there have been times when I have seen women treated very well, very good, and I'm thankful for that. But there have also been times when I've seen them treated poorly. I've seen them be excluded from certain areas of ministry with no biblical precedent. I've heard preachers mock and say that they should stay in the kitchen and not study the Bible. I've seen men in positions of power use that power to denigrate and even manipulate females. I've been in discussion groups where when a woman has something to add to the discussion, the men kind of shut off and they don't even listen to what she has to offer because after all, I don't think I can learn anything from her. 
And I've seen, seen men speak down to women in ways that they would never speak down to another brother. Now, I want the women of this congregation to know that you are loved and you are cherished by Almighty Yahweh. And in our discussions at the Sabbath or at the feast days, I have learned from you women just by listening to you explain parts of Scripture. Sometimes I have learned things from my wife and other women that I've never heard before, never learned before. I've learned things from my wife as we've discussed Scripture over the years. And even though the Bible does teach that a wife is to live in submission to her husband, and that is the biblical teaching everywhere that I can find in the Bible where it talks about a wife's or a woman's submission. It's in reference to her own husband. But even though the scripture teaches that, it doesn't mean that a husband cannot learn anything spiritual from his wife. I'm thankful for my wife and her great example to our children. Uh, she views me as the head of our home, but she has a personal relationship with Yahweh just like me. And she's not the only one in submission in our marriage. I'm in submission too to the Messiah. I believe that in many churches, the women have been overlooked unjustly. And they've been made to feel inferior and left out. And I don't want that to happen here. I have not been the best at all of this in the past. And I've asked Yahweh to forgive me for that. Um, we all sometimes inherit lies from our forefathers on many different things and many different areas of Scripture. And we have to correct the error as we see it, as Yahweh reveals it to us. Recently, one of the ways that I decided to include the women in our congregation was to have them help in the reading of the Torah during our Holy Convocation. I don't believe, I can't find anything in the Torah that would forbid a woman from doing that. But custom and upbringing, in my mind, has always led me to ask other men. And so I've had a few sisters who I've asked that have said they would to read already. And I want all of the sisters to know um, that if you'd like to read the Torah one Sabbath, just come and ask me. And the same goes for any of you brothers as well. That's something that we can all share in as a body of believers and take turns doing. And as time progresses, I hope to find more ways to include women in our services, in our congregation. Um, I think that the verses upholding women in the Bible have kind of been set aside and covered over. I've never really heard a sermon series like the one that I'm teaching now. I know personally I had never taught a sermon about women until now, and I've preached a lot of sermons. Um, so I think a lot of those verses that extol women, righteous, strong women, Proverbs 31 women, I think they've kind of been pushed to the side and covered over. And I want to uncover those verses and I want to shed light where the light, I believe, has been dim. Um, I've heard a lot of sermons, though, in my life about what women shouldn't do. I've heard all of those sermons. Uh, but I've heard very few sermons on a woman's value and what they can do as a daughter of Yahweh. So next week what I want to do is I want to talk about the Samaritan woman. I'm not sure. I've got two more sermons I want to teach. And I'm not sure if I can combine them into one or I've got to take one at a time. But I want to talk about the Samaritan woman. Um, I think there has been some misunderstanding of, of her in John chapter 4. And I want to kind of shed some light on that. 
And I also want to talk about Mary Magdalene because there's been a lot of uh, false accusations about Mary Magdalene, uh, what she was, who she was, and even in our modern times, um, if anybody is familiar with, I guess not too long ago, I think it's been in the 21st century, when there was a man by the name of Dan Brown uh, who wrote a book, I think it was called The Da Vinci Code, where he put forth the idea that Mary Magdalene was Yeshua's wife. And I don't think that that's scriptural, although I don't have a problem with Yeshua having a wife. I found that when you tell people that, they get all upset. But like it's wrong to have a wife. Moses had a wife. You know, it's nothing wrong with having a wife if he did, but I don't think that she was his wife. But we're going to uncover some of the things. A lot of people think Mary Magdalene was a former prostitute and, and all of that. And, but I'm going, to, I'm going to talk about that. So I don't know if I can cover the Samaritan woman and Mary Magdalene in one sermon or two. Um, but um, I don't want to rush through it. But that's the, the uh, last two people that I want to talk about in this series. And we'll stop here for today. So praise Yahweh for our righteous women. Amen. I'll pray and then we'll do our testimony service. Yahweh Father, thank you so much. Thank you for your daughters, our mothers and our sisters that do your will, our family. Uh, Father Yahweh, I pray that all the verses that we have covered over quite quickly in this lesson, uh, people will take the time to dig more into, look more into, um, and develop a, a good understanding of them. Yahweh, help me be very respectful um, of, first and foremost, my wife, and also my daughters, and all of the women here and in society. Yahweh, we thank you. We thank you for your daughters. Hallelujah. Amen. Yes. Yahweh bless you. Shalom.